Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Thank you for being here with us. Would you please stand as we enter into worship? Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love 
Amen. Wow, what a that song is so powerful. That that hits home. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Jeff, and I'm a member here at LJCC as well as um, a board member. Uh, and thank you for coming this morning. It is just an absolutely gorgeous morning out there. Praise the Lord. Um, hey, a couple announcements. First of all, if you are a newcomer to LJCC, welcome. We are stoked to have you guys here. It is just a great family among, you are amongst a great family here at LJCC, and we are here to simply say hello, talk to you, embrace you as family members and as friends. Um, if you are new, on the inside of your uh, little pamphlet here, bulletin, there's a little spot that you can jot down your contact information if you would like. If you don't like, don't do it. Or you can submit a, submit, you can, uh, that's a military speaker, I mean, you can uh, jot down a prayer request. And when the ushers come forward later on in the service, um, please just go ahead and drop them into the basket, and um, we will definitely pray, uh, pray for you. Also, after the service, as you guys know, you can come out to the chatio and talk with us outside, have a cup of coffee, and Bridget, I said I'd say chatio, um, and uh and um, we would love to talk with you, introduce ourselves, and, and get to know everyone around here. So thank you again for coming. First thing that I'd like to talk about this morning is the uh, stories for the women, 18 and older. Um, this is going to be, from what I hear, a, a fabulous event where women can um, come together, meet one another, have a great time of, of talk amongst you and, and fellowship, as well as hear stories of how God is working in, in, in uh, your day-to-day -day life and in, in the, the speaker's day-to-day -day life. It's going to be a great event, from what I am told, that you will be able to um, just, really, just really see God in, in areas that maybe you're not even looking and, and hear these stories. So that's, that's something that uh, registration is coming up quickly for. And I encourage you to maybe reach out and, and check it out. Um, on the, uh, the next announcement would be the men's camp camping retreat. Retreat is somewhat of a formal word for this. It's really a one-night getaway for men. Um, and the way this came about, uh, if you know Dave Neiman, he and I were uh, talking about the fact that we all have busy lives. And in our busy lives, we um, don't often have the time to escape for just a moment. And getting away for a long extended retreat is sometimes very difficult because we have things we have to attend to and we acknowledge that. 
but this is a one-night trip about an hour east up to the Palomar Observatory campground. In that campground, we have uh, quite a few spots reserved as well as a little amphitheater area. We'll have, um, I am going, we're gonna have amazing music. I'm bringing my guitar. Um, and, uh, I'm just kidding about that, but well, I will bring it. Um, but music and fellowship with one another and a great time to just talk about normal things, sit by the campfire, grill out, and then on Saturday morning, um, go ahead and pack up and head home and do your Target runs or your Home Depot or whatever you got going. But it's a night to uh, just simply get together. So if you want more information or if you're ready to sign up, go ahead and drop an email to me, which is in the bulletin under the announcement, or to Dave Neiman, which will also be, um, that information will be provided. Uh, I believe that's it, so let's go ahead and get ready to worship here, and I hope that you guys have a rest, or the rest of your Sunday is wonderful and just blessed. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We love you, we trust you, and we thank you for who you are, for your word and how through Christ you've showered us with blessings. In Ephesians 1, you tell us that you chose us to be your adopted children even before you laid the foundations of the world, that you know each one of us intimately, so much so that your spirit lives in us and that you're reading our hearts and reaching out to us in love moment by moment. Lord, forgive us and our country for thinking we can run our lives and find what we need apart from you. Help us to see ourselves as we really are, how we've been unfaithful to you, how we've allowed the feverish scramble of our prideful worldly concerns and values to take over our hearts with things to which we have become way too attached. Father, we confess our self-centered fallenness and pray that you would change us so that we keep you at the center of our focus and devotion. This morning, some of us are here full of energy and joy. We're feeling in control, sailing along with a steady wind at our back, while others of us may be struggling in a season of exhausting challenges and discouragement. Whatever our circumstances, we trust that you are with us in the midst of it all, that you are full of compassion and mercy, that you have a loving plan for each one of us that's refining us and enriching our lives and our relationship with you. We love you, Lord, and we ask your blessing upon our children, our families, our neighbors and relationships with others, our work, our health, and most of all, our relationship with you. Lord, as we journey into this new chapter in our church history, we lift up Pastor Steve and our leadership team. We pray for wisdom and that everything we say and do here will please and glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Brian. Well, I hope uh, <clears throat> you guys do go on, uh, you go camping uh, with uh, Lieutenant Commander Jeff Shepard. You won't be repelling off anything or, you know, uh, running any kind of obstacle courses, but 
you'll definitely come back with stories. And uh, if, I, I want to reinforce what he said about the, the wonderful stories event coming up in November. That's been one of the most powerful things we've done as a church. Uh, and, and everybody has a story, and it's so wonderful to be able to hear people's stories and hear them talk about how God met them in different ways in their life. So we're talking about a mind for God, and that a mind for God shapes our understanding about everything. That as we understand what it means to be in a relationship with a living God, <clears throat> everything opens up. Uh, without him, everything closes down. And we have that, is that all there is sort of a feeling about life? Even when everything is going really well, you say, but that, is that it? Is that all there is? And when things are going bad, you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is it. But as we open up our mind to God, everything starts to have a new perspective because he is the one helping us see it from a new perspective. <clears throat> it's powerful when people help us reframe uh, the reality that we're experiencing. Uh, an example of that would be uh, the, um, all, all the kids that got out of school, all the kids that, that, that skipped school to protest uh, climate change. Uh, when I was a kid their age, I wouldn't have needed any excuse to skip school. Uh, I would have protested anything for any excuse to get out of school. Uh, but um, what a powerful thing that all these kids are saying, look, uh, I care about the planet. <clears throat> it's, a, it's an amazing and wonderful thing. Uh, they, they're concerned. Uh, and yet one of the things that was saddest to me was I was, reading some of the, I was hearing some of the responses from kids and reading some of the, the interviews with the kids is a sense of, of hopelessness. The sense that I don't have a future. And I thought, man, if, if I was a parent, I guess I would, I would want to, if, if one of our kids had said to us, hey, we want to get out of school to, to, uh, to protest climate change. I said, great, okay, why? I would want to know why. And so it was neat to hear some of these kids talk about why they're doing this. But then I, I, when I, I would want to then say, well, sure, I'm going to go with you. I won't embarrass you, though that is my full-time job as a dad, is to embarrass my kids. But I, I want to go be part of that to support you in that. And, and going over there, and, I, and I'll, I won't be with you, but I'll just be there. Um, but on the way over and the way back, I'd want to debrief that. I'd want to reframe that for them. Why? Because if, unless we reframe it, we're making people feel vulnerable, but we're not giving them any authority uh, to see it in a larger context. This is powerful. This is very powerful. Why? Because everybody has an inherent sense that creation matters. Why is that? And that's the big first idea of the morning. Because you are made in the image of God. Because you are made in the image of God, you have this in, in, inherent sense that, that creation matters. And the question is, well, what can we do to be good stewards of creation? And so there's all these kids now saying, I really care. But some of the feedback... Uh, in, in the verbal interviews you can see on the news or in, in the written interviews that came out of the media was that there's no future for me. And I guess what I'd want to say to my kids or to any kid is that, you know what, this is a really worthy cause to have, to have concern about and to demand that the people that, that are currently in charge of the world are thinking about your future. But let me tell you something about your future. Your future is secure because God is for you and God is with you. And it's God's creation, and he cares about it more than even we do. And he's not happy the way that we've not been good stewards of creation. But there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, which doesn't give us permission to trash the current one. But it does give us a sense of hope that as we step up and, and, and protest anything, any kind of thing that we see defacing creation, whether it's defacing people through human trafficking 
or the destruction of the earth or any, any number of issues. We want to do it from this larger perspective of having a mind so open to God and so focused on God that we have a larger context for processing. So all of a sudden, instead of just feeling vulnerable, oh no, what's going to happen? We also get the authority that comes with God speaking to us and opening our mind up to his thoughts. The authority that says, I know where this is going to go. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the meantime, but I know what I can do and be in the meantime. Front page of the New York Times today, all it is is pictures of people who were killed in the last year by, by crazy people. Crazy, not in the sense of necessarily clinically crazy, but people doing crazy things with guns, <clears throat> with magazines, with too many bullets in them. But the whole idea was it was a fear-invoking cover. Everybody's at risk all the time. And partly that's true. You don't know what's going to happen when you go out. Somebody will run through a red light or somebody will do something out of some you know, ill-advised motive. But the lar- again, the larger frame of reference, but there's a God who's with you and a God who's for you. And this is not happy talk to cause us to retreat from the public sphere, to retreat from culture, but it's a, it's a call for us to engage the public sphere, to engage culture, uh, focusing on the issues right in front of us, but having a larger perspective by and from which we address those. Do you follow that? And this is why it's so essential that we would have a mind for God, because it shapes our understanding about everything. And so the first big idea of the morning is this. You are made in the image of God. Last week I said you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship. And so this, this follows from that. You are made in the image of God. And that's unassailable. I know that because I Googled it, and I know everything about you now. Actually, I Bibled it. I Bibled it, and in the Bible it says that you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship. You matter because you're made in his image. At the very beginning of life, throughout life, at the end of life, everybody's life matters to God. But here's the big problem. God's image in us is obscured and compromised by the brokenness within us and the brokenness around us. The Bible uses the word sin to describe that. I love the fact that sin in Spanish means without. Without. We are without the things we need to make sense of the world that we were created for. But for God intervening and telling us who he is and what he's up to, uh, we, we were left to our own devices saying, what kind of world is this? I yearn for a better world that I live in. I, 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 I yearn for a better me uh, that I'm experiencing. I yearn for a better marriage, a better family, a better anything, a better, a better marketplace. Why does the world see so, seem so tantalizingly right and then it, it seems so um, randomly wrong. Uh, this is our big problem, that God's image in us and in all creation is obscured and compromised by sin. This is a big, big issue. And again, this is one of those compelling issues for followers of Jesus, to say we take very seriously what the Bible tells us about our situation. And because he gives us not just vulnerability, you're in big danger, and he also gives us authority but I am with you, and I have, I have tools and resources to provide for you. It allows us to step forward and say, Lord, what do you want me to do to be part of your redemption of creation? What, do you want, what, what can I do to participate with you in your uh, remaking of the world, this new heaven, this new earth, this new me uh, that's in, in process? This is very, very powerful, right? Because we need to face reality as it is, but we need to face it with a sense of hopefulness, not optimism. Gee, things will get better. Optimism says, I hope things get better, but it's not really hope. It's sort of another expression of randomness. It's wishful thinking. But true hope, anchored in the presence 
of God, with a mind for God, says there is hope because he promises it, and he will make it so. And so we see uh, God's antidote to this in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, formerly Saul the rabbi, now Paul, this ambassador of Christ to Gentile and Jew alike. He says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, I love that, his great love for us. And this is one of those ways of reframing uh, every circumstance. Yeah, it's dire. It's not looking good. But you know what? God loves you. And that counts for something. Uh, God is rich in mercy, and it's available to you. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. This is the sin that obscures uh, this image of God in us. And so he says, it is by grace you've been saved. Uh, somebody said, used this as, uh, framed this as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, unmerited favor from God. What we could not do on our own, God does on our behalf. It's by grace you've been saved, uh, and you're being saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, that to me is a, kind of a mind-boggling <laughs> statement. What could that possibly mean? I, after all, am here, standing here. How can I be raised up with Christ in, in the heavenly realms? I think what Paul is telling us here is that we have a, a, a larger identity, and our identity is secure in Christ. Our identity is unassailable in Christ. We belong to him. Our, our rootedness is in his kingdom. That's what this is speaking to. Our experience uh, is in this world. But even in this world, we are rooted in his kingdom. It's that great prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Right? So, so he's saying you have a larger identity. That's why you can have hope. That's how the practical love and mercy of God works out. You're part of this redemptive process, this remaking of all creation that God is doing out of his love and mercy in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. It's demonstrable in the real world in which we live. It's, the, it's demonstrable and, and can be experienced in the real life that you're actually living, in the real marriage you're in, in the real family you're in, in the real marketplace you uh, work within. In the very real world that we know, God is doing something that is unexplainable but for his presence in it. This is expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And again, he says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. <clears throat> and this is not from yourselves. We're not saved by our faith. Our faith is a response to God's grace and mercy and love in Christ. <clears throat> and in, 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 in agreeing with him and receiving uh, that gift from him, uh, we are saved and being saved. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I haven't earned it, I don't deserve it, but God, because he loves me and is merciful, wants me to have this. And then he says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The, 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 the good works aren't for our salvation, they come from our salvation. I'm not doing good works to earn God's grace. I've been given his grace. And because of that grace, and because I'm in this relationship 
uh, of transformation with him, a redemptive relationship, making me new. I'm given this incredible, audacious capacity and privilege of being part of God's good work in the world. And when it says that God prepared these in advance for us to do, it's not that he prepared each work we're going to do in advance. He prepared in advance that we would have the capacity, the access to doing any number of good works uh, that, that uh, God makes available to us so that we see, uh, having had the mind of Christ at work in us, we see needs and opportunities. We say, that's got my name on it. I think that's my call right there. And so we're prepared. We're ready. And so Jesus came to restore the relationship God created us for. He's restoring the image of God in us and our awareness of that and our functionality in that image of God. How does he do it? Well, he forgives our sin and he reboots creation in us. We are new creations in Christ. Now, let me, let me just pause to say this. We are of creation, but distinct from it. We are of creation, but distinct from it. The common material to all creation is, is in us, but we are uniquely God-breathed. This is significant. What's common to all creation is common to us. But because God has breathed his breath in us, we have a unique and distinct identity within creation. And now because of the redemptive work of Jesus, we have a unique and distinct identity in heaven rooted in his kingdom. Do you see how that works? <clears throat> this is very important. Don't be confused by people who uh, talk about DNA similarity and comparisons between animals and us, as if to say, uh, let's level the field, you're no different. We are different. It's not because we have a different material. It's because God has breathed his life into us. Uh, so let me just give you an example. Uh, we share 65% similar DNA with chickens. Uh, some of you have a lot more chicken in you than that, but I mean, I'm just saying at least 65%. Uh, dogs, we share 84% of common DNA with dogs. I like dogs. I'm, I feel better that I share 84% with them. I'm not so happy about the 90% I share with mice. Uh, I feel like we're going backwards there, you know. Uh, mice, um, but that's why we use mice in, in, in scientific experiments and testing because they're so close to our we share so much DNA. Monkeys, 93%. Gorillas, 98%. Aren't you, aren't you wondering, when, when do we get to 100%? So this is, I'm going to reveal the big whopping new research that I've been doing uh, to complete this whole perspective on uh, DNA comparisons between animals and us uh, and all living things. So here's a whopper. Slugs and men watching ESPN. I, and I, of course, I repeat myself by saying that. Uh, slugs and men watching ESPN share a 100% DNA similarity. Isn't that not amazing? That's the, that closes the loop on the DNA comparisons between other, creation, uh, other created things and, and us. So what's the big deal about our uniqueness being God-breathed? It's this, that we are made to be in a relationship and, a, and an ongoing dialogue with God. An ongoing dialogue with God. Uh, this is why if you read the Psalms, <laughs> you're kind of shocked that, boy, this guy's getting pretty angry with God. What's going on here? Uh, you see the, the, the full range of human emotion expressed in the Psalms, in this dialogue. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And by the end of the Psalm, it's, oh, oh yeah, that's right, you're God. And, and it will be well with my soul. And as we walk with God, he develops in us uh, what I'm calling a sanctified imagination. 
a sanctified imagination. Uh, that's just a fancy way of saying we think God's thoughts. Sanctified. Uh, justification is that theological uh, term to talk about us being brought into a relationship with the living God. All that grace and love at work and mercy in our life. Uh, the sanctification is a process of being conformed to God's image, learning to live according to God's purposes. So it's an ongoing experience. So sanctification. Uh, why, why imagination? Because if we're made in the uh, image of God, the imago dei, the image of God, then imagination is simply then thinking God's thoughts after him. Uh, and this is not as far-fetched as you think. Uh, it's the normative standard um, for our identity as having been made in the image of God. That we would be able to apprehend uh, information that God is giving us. That we would think God's thoughts after him. Uh, it's, it's really an authentic mindfulness for God. Every human being is capable of mindfulness. Why? Whether we believe in God or not. Because we are made in the image of God. But, but the most profound form of, of mindfulness would be us having an alignment with God so intimate and personal that we're not just projecting our thoughts and saying it's God, but we're truly being mindful of what God is revealing to us in his word and through his Holy Spirit in our ongoing dialogue with him. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Johannes Kepler, do you know that name, Johannes Kepler? Uh, one of the fathers of modern science, and modern means it started you know, in the, in the uh, 17th century. Johannes Kepler, uh, raised by a single mom in a bar in a village near Stuttgart. So he hung out in, in this inn, this bar, all the time. And people were amazed at this kid in this very uh, deprived environment uh, and, and abuse, uh, emotional abuse and, and, and abandonment. His mom was kind of a wreck. The dad long ago deserting her. Uh, but he was so smart uh, that he would be able to do these incredible math problems in his head. Eventually, somebody said, you know, you really need to go to university. His, sta his station in life would usually prohibit a kid like him from absolutely in any way having uh, access to that. But he was so smart, he got somebody's attention, and now he's, he's studying, and he's a brilliant mathematician. He's the guy that figured out the elliptical movement of planets through space. How? How? Uh, he was like a second Copernicus. He was just a brilliant thinker. But his passion was theology. He wanted to be a pastor. And so he studied theology, but the academy said, we, we, we know that you think like a pastor and, and, and a theologian, but we want you to be a mathematician. We need you in the academy. Now, just stop for a second. This is a descriptive um, moment for everybody in this room. This is what a sanctified imagination looks like. My identity is grounded in the Lord himself. How does he want me to use that in my work on his behalf? Right? Powerful, powerful, powerful. Uh, we had a member here who now lives in New York, uh, Mark Calamini, uh, who's the head of surgery at UCSD. And um, I said, Mark, what, is your, what, what do you think your, your ministry is supposed to be? And, and he didn't even have to think about it. He already knew. He said, my ministry is the 160 surgeons under my care at UCSD. That's pretty bold, don't you think? Here's a guy who created the first, the first operation to ever remove a gallbladder without making an incision. Don't ask me to explain it. I have no idea how he did it. Uh, and, and he's created all these amazing surgical processes uh, that, that are changing surgery. 
a couple years after they moved to New York, Janet and I were coming back into the country and we're waiting. We had to go through customs and then, and then pick up our luggage. And while we're waiting there, there's a couple standing there and we started talking to them. It turns out they're both surgeons at UCSD. I said, oh my gosh, uh, you got to work with Mark Talamini. And they immediately lit up. I said, oh my gosh. One, an amazing surgeon. Two, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? That the way, that the way they experienced him was the image of God alive in him. They, they respected him professionally, but they much more appreciated him personally. Uh, you know how political that world is. And we then spent some time with them talking about the crazy politics um, that goes with university work. But here's what Johannes Kepler said. When somebody said, how do you know this stuff? How do you come up with this stuff? Why, why do you do what you do? And he said this. He said, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Sanctified imagination. I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. He figured out if, 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 if the sun is so essential, what would I want to know about the sun's relationship to other planets? And that's how the ellipsis stuff came in. It's just fantastic. He said, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God, a sanctified imagination. Do you think we need more people, men and women, of every age and stage, functioning with a sanctified imagination in every sphere of human endeavor? Do you not want a legal theorist to be working with a sanctified imagination, an artist, a musician, a technologist, grounded in reality, but harnessed to the mind of God, guided by the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, in the company of the people of God, saying, what would it look like for me to bless people with what I have been given to do? So imagination engages our heart, our, our, our spirit, our, our soul, our body, our mind. It's the wellspring of creativity, uh, also known as work. Creativity is just a, is a, is a more elegant way of talking about work. Why? Because imagination is, again, thinking, basically. It's just thinking. But creativity is saying, what would I do to take those ideas, those concepts, those insights, that understanding, and apply it to real-world solutions? So if you think, well, I'm not creative, it's because you may be thinking that creativity is, is the realm of artists and very creative types. All of us are creative every day. We have to be creative. We have to come up with solutions to problems. So you are creative by nature, by design. But the beautiful thing is, the more that we have a mind for God, the more we understand the world and how it works, and God's presence in it and God's work in it, we start to become that much more creative in the way that we engage the problems around us. So that's the conversation I want to have with those kids protesting climate change. So you're absolutely right to be concerned. But the kids that were saying, I have no future, some of the, the feedback was kids were saying, why would I work? Why would I go to school? Why would I get a job? I'll never live long enough to enjoy it. This is a kid's perspective. None of the modeling says the world's going to end by the time that kid is even old and dead. You know, I mean, it's that their framing work is, oh, no, it's a crisis of, of epic proportions right now, sucking the hope that they have away from them. This is kind of the kind of perspective we want to be able to come and say, you know what, let's think creatively after the manner of God and look at these very real problems and these very real concerns and talk about what we can do substantively, creatively, practically to respond to them.
You see the power of this. Who's going to be the person to have that conversation with them? You don't want that kid to leave it with, I hope I have a future, and for some well-intentioned adult say, yeah, me too. You want to have that kid who is willing enough to share their pain and their angst and say, I I hope I have a future. And you can say, you have a future. Here's why. You have a future. And in fact, let me tell you about the one who holds the future and your future in his hands. You see, that's where we we, we mesh up authority and vulnerability, right? Right now, those kids are feeling a a lot of vulnerability. Oh, no. But authority is what speaks into that vulnerability and says, here's your basis for hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not thin optimism. I just hope it gets better. It's, this is the purposeful act of God working uh, in his own creation. And so creativity is our imaginative capacity to formulate solutions to problems, and our imagination roots us in God's creative purposes for us and in this world. Though we see it imperfectly, we're seeing it ever more clearly as we go through the process with him. This is what Paul was referring to at that end of that famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And, and everybody knows that from being at a wedding at some point, probably. But the very end of that is, is I think, the, the power of what he's saying. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's a hopeful statement, isn't it? It's okay that I don't know it all right now. It's okay that I'm in progress and that I'm engaged in a process. Progress now, perfection later. This is a, I mean, this is what I love about the Bible. This is a design sensibility. What is a design sensibility? A bias for action, the willingness to prototype, and a commitment to iteration. Paul's saying, I get to live in this, and I'm going to seize this right now, this whole concept of love. And not just a concept, but a reality, a practice that I'm learning to live into. And I realize I'm not very good at it. I don't see it always clearly, but I'm making progress. Why? Because the Spirit of God is making that progress in me. And what I know now in part, I will know fully then. In the meantime, I have hope. I have resilience. And so that brings us to the second point. If the first is that you're made in the image of God, the second is this. Our worldview determines our work view. Because having a mind for God immediately puts us into that mode where uh, we are working. Uh, See, uh, in the beginning it says, God uh, created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, Subdue is a strong word. Uh, It's a take charge word. Um, do you know the word kibosh? Have you heard anybody ever say, let's put the kibosh on that? That's the Hebrew word that is subdue. It means to take charge, to control that situation. Kibosh. So you're, you're fluent in Hebrew now because you know that word already and, and you know how to use it. But following in Genesis 2, he also adds a word. He says, your job is to tend, to cultivate, to manage, to steward creation. So this creativity uh, that we see in God is that God just didn't think he did. He made something out of nothing. This shapes our worldview. This is how we change our way of seeing the world. Oh, my gosh. This is central to who God is. 
Therefore, it's central and essential to who I am, having been made in the image of God. I, I need a worldview that reflects his view so I know how to do work like he does work. Why does this matter? Uh, what does a Greek, a, a, a platonic Greek worldview look like? Work is for losers. Work is for chumps. When you finally get your act together in life, you don't work anymore. Somebody else does work for you. And the Romans thought, that's a very good idea. So the Roman view of work was only losers and chumps work. The idea is to get out of work. Guess what Tom Sawyer was? He was a platonic Roman. Get somebody else to paint the fence. There's no nobility or joy in painting the fence when you could be doing something a lot more fun. The Hebraic concept, though, says, wow, God counted work an ennobling activity. I am ennobled as I learn what my true work is. Now, we know because of this brokenness of the world we live in, work can feel, humili can feel humiliating and, and mindless and useless. You go, why am I doing this work? But in that redemptive work of God, work is all of a sudden ennobled, and we are ennobled in that process. Now, everybody has a worldview. Everyone has a way of looking at the world. And what is it shaped by? Our families, our culture. Hopefully, as you, as you walk with God, it's shaped by Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit and wise and godly people saying, hey, let's take another look at this. What is your worldview? So I ask you the question, how are you nurtured and cared for? What was it like growing up in your family? Uh, what was the division of labor like in your family? If it's like most cultures, women pretty much do all the work. And that's not even funny. We can make all kinds of jokes about it. But the fact is that women uh, often feel a great burden for work. Because in every culture and every language group, men are thinking about big things like world peace. You know, and something else. But women end up, the work falls on women. Uh, or maybe on children. Uh, this is the, the heartbreak of human trafficking, right? Children uh, uh, being indentured into servitude because of uh, the complicity of adults. What was your family of origin like? Uh, did you see people seeing work as something to get into or get out of? Or did you grow up every day hearing people curse their work or say, wow, what a gift I get to work? Did you have jobs as a kid? Did you have chores? Did you learn how to participate and contribute? And was that humiliating or was that ennobling? I get to help my mom. I get to work with my dad. Reflect on those things. Where did you learn how to work? Did somebody tell you, hey, if you study and go to school, you won't have to work like I do? Well-intended message, but it's the wrong message. The message could probably better be stated as this. You know, I do the work I do so I, so I can support you guys. And for that, I give God all glory and honor and praise. I have the privilege of supporting you. There's some things, though, if I could do differently, I would do. And I think one of your opportunities is that by me doing the work I do to support you and going to school and discovering your giftedness, you might get to do work that's more aligned with what you really uh, feel more alive doing. You see that beautiful transition perspective? What was your family origin like? Capacity varies, but we're all given the potential for very good work. Everybody has a capacity, almost everybody uh, has the capacity to contribute and do some kind of work that is ennobling to them. And when people get to participate in a, in, a, in a work that matters to them, they feel more alive. So what's Christian about our work uh, in this worldview that God is shaping in us? What's Christian about our work? Do you need to put Christian on the front of every kind of business if it's going to be a Christian business? That'd be ridiculous. 
But some people feel like that's when it really comes together, to have a Christian political party, to have a Christian this, to have a Christian that. But maybe here's a, here's a, a, a more core way of looking at this based on having a mind for God. What's Christian about our work? It's the person who serves God doing it. That person who serves God doing their work is doing Christian, profoundly Christian work. They're a nurse. They're a preschool teacher. They're an attorney. They're an architect. They're a construction worker. Whatever they're doing, they do it to the glory of God. This was the whole movement of the Protestant Reformation. So many things wrong with the Protestant Reformation. But one of the great things that came out of it was uh, the, the hope that the plowman at his plow would be thinking thoughts of God, that a Johannes Kepler would be thinking thoughts of God, that a Mark Calamini, that you and I would be thinking thoughts of God, redeeming our work. And so God is so sovereign over all work. He will judge everyone's work. We do our work to honor him and bless people. Why? Because we have a mind for him, and we're emulating him, and we see that his work is good, and he called it very good. And so God nurtures our minds and captures our imagination in ways that shape a worldview in us. And it can share all the attributes of the culture in which you're raised, but it will probably be uh, transforming of your culture as well. Why? Because God works through culture, but God is above all cultures. That's why every culture has its own inherent beauty and, and uh, uh, logic to it, and that every culture is only improved when a person's mind comes alive to the living God. They don't, they don't have to say, I leave my culture to walk with God. They say, my gosh, God is helping me appreciate my culture and raising it up and redeeming it in ways that there's things I can let go of and things I can embrace, just like your family. I'm, I, am, I, am, I let go of some things from my family of origin, and I embrace some things in this new family uh, that I'm shaping. And so we need informed Christ followers who, who have a mind for Christ shaping, by, by virtue of their interest and their presence, shaping the attitudes of the people and the culture around them. Not with big billboards or big megaphones saying, I'm awesome, I'm a Christian, you should listen to me. I'm opposing my views and values on you. But wooing people into uh, a place where they say, why do you do what you do? Why are you who you are? It's building those relational bridges across which truth can move. It becomes compelling when you see somebody, Jonathan, leading, leading worship here, you know, working as an engineer at some point, and somebody says, Jonathan, what is with you? you know, what do you mean? Well, just I, I see the way you treat people. You're so respectful and gentle toward people. You're, you're more patient than the average engineer that I've known. You say, well, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I guess... I get impatient like anybody, but you know what? I keep thinking as I'm doing what I do that it's a gift from God I get to do it, and I see everybody as being made in his image, and I just want to treat them accordingly. And they go, whoa, where did that come from? Well, if my family, I was involved at crew or university, whatever, you know, UCSD, and et cetera. So we, we raised up with a worldview that is constantly being improved as we have more understanding of God's ways in the world. But it's end up, it ends up being something that we then influence by our very presence, the people around us. And they say, what is going on? Why do you care about people that you could otherwise just ignore? Why do you care about those people being trafficked? Why do you care about those people and you list whatever circumstances they're suffering from? So, well, I could ignore them. I could pretend they don't exist. But you know what? Uh, they're all part of uh, God's redemption of creation, and I want to be part of that with him. Now, I realize not every need I can respond to, but 
There's some that I can, and I figure out what those are, and I do it. That becomes the most compelling thing. So you're standing next to somebody at the next climate change protest, and they say, why are you here? You say, I'm here because I believe that God loves his creation so much that he gave his life for it, and he's redeeming it. And I want to stand with him on behalf of all creation. You just didn't say to anybody, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. You're just saying, here's what motivates me to do what I do, why I do it. So God nurtures our minds and captures our imagination in many ways that influence our worldview. But meanwhile, other influences are trying to capture your mind as well. And you've been, you've been socialized into a way of seeing the world, experiencing the world that takes lots of years to get to the roots of that through this worldview that God is shaping in our minds. So the, the, the fact that you have a professed faith in Christ, you've been walking with him for a while, does not mean that your worldview is thoroughly captured by him yet. And there's constant uh, forces competing for your attention. And some of those you assume are absolutely right and good. So that's why the, the writer, uh, John, one of the, the apostles of Jesus, writes in 1 John 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things that the world says, this is what you should be and what you should really aspire to, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, this is the world apart from God's purposes for it. Remember, Christ died for the world. Christ loves the world. But it says the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And then likewise, uh, Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone whose worldview has so many holes in it. The enemy can come in and go, I'm taking you captive. That worldview is so shaped by culture and self-centeredness that they say, there's nothing about Jesus in this. You're unprotected and vulnerable. I'm bringing you over to my side. Now, it's, it's Satan, of course, wants to, us, to, us to disbelieve, but it doesn't matter if we, if we believe or not, right? Because all, all Satan has to do, all Satan has to do is to distract us and discourage us and to make us feel defeated. Because as we see our sinful nature cropping up in this situation, that situation, we might be tempted to say, oh, forget it, it's impossible to live this life. But because you have a mind for Christ, he keeps reminding you, no, you belong to me. I love you. I forgive you. We're going to get through this. Don't give up. I'm not giving up on you. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. Just be present to me. And trust that my Holy Spirit and my holy people and my holy word will guide you as you engage the world and do your work in my name. So don't be paranoid, be prepared. Fill your mind with godly content. What does that look like? It's scripture, it's just the attitude of curiosity, it's prayer, it's supportive community, it's discipline. Watch Veritas forums. Go online and watch a Veritas forum. Veritas is a movement across American university campuses where they'll bring on a profoundly uh, articulate Christian professors in every discipline to then talk about the integration of their faith and their, their, uh, their uh, discipline as a professor. Uh, for, for several years, we funded, this church funded Veritas Forum at UCSD, and then finally the university kicked in and said, hey, we'll, we'll fund Veritas Forum. And so they'll bring in people from, uh, we brought in a, a, a mathematician from Cambridge, and he got up and spoke about uh, you know, high-end math, and the campus, you know, UCSD, UCSD campus takes this guy very seriously. He's a world-class mathematician. And, but he also then talked about his faith. Uh, are, you, are you listening to podcasts? Are you reading books by people that are credibly integrating faith 
and the practice of life. Dallas Willard type people, etc. <laughs> Having a mind for Christ is simply turning to him constantly, day by day, in a growing friendship. That's all it is. Your mind is shaped by him because you spend time with him. Whoever you spend the most time with influences you. That's why parents freak out when they see their kids hanging out with kids that they don't want their kids to influence, be influenced by, I should say. So the final idea of the morning is this. A mind for Christ is essential to understanding God's presence in you. A mind for Christ is essential for understanding God's presence in you. Otherwise, you will fill all the blanks in with your own narrative. You'll create your own narrative. Oh, God doesn't love me because I sinned again. Oh, God isn't for me because I'm going through a difficult situation. Oh, God is not for me because... Or so-and-so is right, that internal critical audience you have. I'm, I'm, I all amount to nothing, and so why would God even be interested in me? A mind for Christ is essential to understanding God's presence in you, and your best work is what you do right now by having a mindset on Christ. I mentioned Mark Talamini. I want to tell you about Beverly. Uh, Beverly <coughs> is, is an older woman um, about this tall. And I, I met Beverly uh, recently, and she's, she's very, very humble, very self-effacing. Uh, but as she started to tell me about what she does and why she does it in a very low-key way, not bragging, just telling me about her, because I asked, tell me about you, uh, all of a sudden I realized she was getting to be about nine feet tall. And, and this little diminutive woman that I'm standing in front of, I'm looking at, as, as a giant, I felt like I'm in the presence of greatness. She hasn't changed her tone. Uh, and I find my eyes filling up. You have that feeling sometimes? Something moves you and you kind of feel your eyes start to fill up. And I'm, I'm listening to her talk. I'm just, and I'm, I'm taking it all in. I said, Beverly, uh, I want to thank you. And she said, well, why? I said, because after cleaning houses for eight hours today, you're spending from 8 p.m. to midnight at this church cleaning our church? And that when I asked you what you think about when you're cleaning those houses for people, you said, I'm trying to support them so they can do their best work. That you pray for those families as you clean their homes. And that you pray in those rooms that you're in cleaning for all the people using them. And you pray for the mission of this church. And you pray for the vision of this church. I, I, you know what I mean? I, you have that sense that you're standing on holy ground. Unaffected. Matter of fact, Beverly. Uh, God uses people like Beverly, whose calling is cleaning up after others. That's the most holy work we can do. And in your creative approach to having the mind of Christ in this real world, you'll be doing work that essentially is cleaning up after others. Not shaming them for that, not blaming them for that, not resenting them for that, but saying, Lord, isn't this great that I get to serve you in this way? Beverly's real work is loving people by supporting them in their work. It's breathtaking. The family, uh, one of the families that I know that has worked with, Beverly has worked with them for the last 15 years, 16 years, they hold her in the highest regard. 
They said, if we are, Beverly has so changed our family just by being Beverly in a quiet, unobtrusive way. She is a mighty woman of God. And I said, I, yeah, I know. I got to talk to her. It's just amazing. So are you honoring God and blessing people by what you do? If you are, keep doing that. Don't disparage what you do. It's not that important. It's not good enough. No. If you're trying to do what Beverly's doing in your own sphere of influence, God bless you. God will honor you. God will sustain you. It counts a lot. This is what we're talking about. Not grandiosity. We're talking about faithfulness, having a mind for Christ, doing your work for Christ. God bless you if you're doing that. If you're not doing that, this is a new thought to you. Uh, start doing that. Start praying for the people you work with. Start praying for the situations you're in. Start seeing that maybe in some way that you can't control or, or even anticipate. Uh, God is preparing you to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within you. We're going somewhere very good, a new heaven, a new earth, a new you. And guess what? God is on the journey with us. That's the beautiful thing about this. Take heart that God is with you in the journey and keep your mind on him. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd show us, teach us, remind us, if necessary, rebuke us, that we can have a mind for you because you have a mind for us. And that, Lord, in life groups, uh, it, community Bible study, in, in any number of ways that you deliver the goods, Lord, help shape our mind through godly parents influencing their children in word and deed, through, through the work of this church, through the work of campus groups around this city and across the country. Lord, we pray that you'd continue to shape our minds so that we can do our work uh, as people created in your image. We thank you and praise you for that incredible privilege. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord as the offer of the morning is now received.
So the presence of God is in this place because the Lord is present in this place. He's present in his people. And he's present in his people when they leave to go out into the world to do the work that he's called them to with the mind of Christ. Whatever that work is, do it to his glory and to bless people in his name. If we can pray for you in anything, for anything, uh, for anyone in your life that you uh, want to pray for, just go right out around the corner. There'll be people in the prayer garden who won't even have to ask you if you want prayer. They'll just pray for you if you want. If you want to tell them what you need prayer for, they'll be glad to hear that and pray specifically. But let us pray for you uh, if you have anything on your heart uh, right now that you'd like people to pray with you about. If you are, have questions about faith, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be in a life group, let us know how we can help you make that connection with God's people. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who knows you and loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, doing your work in his name with the might of Christ, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.